Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 54. My next guest has truly been to Helen back. Dr. Rob Kelly shares his highs and lows as he struggled and overcame crippling alcoholism and mental illness. Once an accomplished musician, bass guitarist, who played with Queen, David Bowie, and Elton John, was highly educated from Oxford University, experienced addiction, and ultimately was homeless and helpless. Today, Dr. Kelly is a sought-after neuroscience and positive psychology expert who believes that the rewiring of the brain can lead to positive and lasting change in a person's life. Dr. Kelly has appeared on such shows as The Doctors, Eye Opener, Good Morning Texas, and Ken's Five Morning News. A frequent contributor to radio and print interviews, including The Jim Hohannon Show, Miracles in Recovery, USA Today, and participated in the McLean Hospital's Harvard Medical School study on stigma associated with mental illness. Dr. Kelly hosted Sober Celeb's show on KLIF Radio in Dallas and currently hosts the Breaking Through Addiction podcast featuring special guests discussing a variety of mental health issues. Dr. Kelly created a DVD, Let's Get Back to 98% Recovery, used in prisons and recovery treatment centers throughout the U.S., He has lectured on addiction, trauma, and mental wellness at high-profile universities, national conferences, treatment facilities, public schools, churches, business organizations, and hospitals. Dr. Kelly is currently the CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group in Texas, a transformation coaching company he created based on extensive research and behavior studies conducted over the past 20 years. Take a listen. Thanks so much, Dr. Rob, for joining us. It's great to have you. Of course. Thank you very much, Dr. May. You are the best. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to have you. So let's dive right in. You know, like, what was life like, you know, prior to recovery and what helped you stop using? Life was, life was pretty good. I grew up on a, what, what you guys would call the projects, just in case you don't know, guys. You probably do from the accent. I, I'm from England. Uh, I came over here 16 years ago to Texas. But yeah, it was, it was a low working class and... Um, you know, drinking the pubs every Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the guys. And, you know, it's just a normal life. That was, you know, used to dig roads for the gas board to lay the big pipes in. And mom cleaned other people's houses. Um, and yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but uh, we were loved in that house. We had two pairs of shoes a year, so we can have, and probably two changes of clothes apart from uh, gym stuff. So yeah, I grew up on that almost above the poverty line. Uh, but was pretty happy, to be honest. I was always encouraged to do stuff. And I took my, my alcoholic drink at the age of nine years old. I can tell you what exactly it was. It was a club in Liverpool where the Beatles come from. And it was a Friday night. And when I took that drink, oh, everything changed for me. My nervousness, my energy, my confidence changed instantly. Uh, and I continued to drink. Uh, unfortunately, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I've now recovered, but I was an alcoholic and it's in the family. It's, it's a generational disease. It's passed down from generation to generation. It's heredity. It's a predisposition. So I was always going to end up either in treatment or dead or, you know, homeless. So I did two of them things. I did three of them things. I died on the streets. They brought back to life. I went into treatment multiple times, you know, and I became homeless. You know, so I've done all three. I still survived. And if you believe in a higher power, God, 
Uncle Jimmy, whoever's up there, then that's the only thing that brought me through because it was kind of humanly impossible to go from where I was homeless to where I am today. I don't think anybody's done a feat like that ever in the world. And I don't mean to sound egoistic when I say that, but I was really literally just meant to die on the streets and a spiritual awakening one night and here I am. So alcohol is my main problem. Mm-hmm. And so we'll get to some of the, the ways you approach recovery at your uh, recovery group, Dr. Rob. But tell me a little bit, like at that point, higher power, whatever you want to call it, kind of helped you get off the street. What helped you stay stopped using? Like, What was your mindset at that point? Well, I, I turned my life over to, to God. Um, uh, and um, it, it, the, the work I went through, you see, I met this person in, a, in an AA room after I got saved off the streets by one guy called Derek who came across me that he shouldn't have done. And he changed my life, the guy called John in the rooms. Uh, so he taught me all this stuff. I used to go to his apartment uh, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. for 12 weeks. Uh, and he changed my life. He changed my thinking. He changed, you know, everything about me. And, uh, you know, we went to find this guy weeks later. And we couldn't find him. He, the, you know, the next door neighbor said there's no such person there. And back to the meeting, couldn't find him. So it was kind of that relief that the compulsion would drink was taken away from me and a whole new perspective on life that, and, and today with the neuroscience that we do here and uh, neuroplasticity right. and the surrounding the mind and the brain, that anything's possible. So you start to believe that anything's possible and so it becomes. Good grief. I mean, that's kind of, just like you said, it's kind of unbelievable, you know, how this kind of transformed you permanently, right? It's one thing to stop using, but you've been in recovery for a really long time. I'm looking at you, and behind you, there's this book called Daddy, Daddy, Stop Drinking. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you, because there's this one part, um, Dr. Rob, that I want to address, which is when I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control it. And when I controlled my drinking, I couldn't enjoy it. Um, one is I couldn't control. One is I didn't enjoy it. I mean, what a fucked up hamster wheel that is, right? Yeah, so tell yeah, me yeah. a little bit about that. Well, that's what I realized that I, I had a problem. Is that, you know, you go to occasions and you have a drink before you go. And you get there and the wife says, don't drink. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't wait to get home. So after 10 minutes, you come in. So I realized that when I enjoy it, I can't control it. Like if I, if I was to have one drink now, you know, I drank it, I'd, I'd be done. I'd end up in hospital or I would end up dead because I can't stop once I start. So that was the idea around that. And it, it, the other thing is, well, it's an old AA scene as well uh, from the book. But the daddy, daddy, please stop drinking is, it was my daughter, right? My eldest daughter was three at the time. Um, I just come home from Spain after messing everything up. I stabbed my wife three times one night uh, when she wanted me to finish my vodka. And I fled to Spain so they wouldn't, try and, you know, arrest me for attempted murder. But when I came back, uh, my wife left. She took the children. The next day, I got onto my attorney and said, get to the uh, courts now and get my children back. And by some miracle, he did. And he brought them back and I gave them a large check. And then I brought them in. I remember, I remember Dr. Mayer, I put them in front of the TV. I turned the TV on. I went into the kitchen and I thought, you know, I'm just going to have one beer to celebrate the children coming home. Three days later, when the police kicked the door down, I'm in oblivion. Children not being fed for two or three days, not being changed diapers for two or three days. They they kicked me awake and they served me with unfit father papers. As I'm walking to the door, I'm crying. The, the, oh, the, the, 
feeling was horrible. Oh, what I've done, what I've done, oh my God, I believe I would kill anybody in real life if I ever saw them doing that to their kids. And yet here I am. Right. But when, when the authorities and the police and mom was there and mother in law was there, my eldest girl was, you know, reached up to mommy trying to hold her hand. And she said three things to me when she, when she left. And I've never seen my youngest daughter since 30 years ago. Uh, she said, daddy, daddy, please don't go. And they walked further down the path. And she turned around again, looking at me. I was crying. One of the policemen was crying, which I thought was weird. You know, uh, parents, were, um, mom was crying. Everyone was like, just, it was a horrible scene. Mm. She turned around a bit further and, and she says, uh, daddy, daddy, please get better. And as they got to the gate, uh, Dr. May, they opened this big gate. And she turned around one more time and she said, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for my daughters. I couldn't do it for my wife, her parents. And uh, that part always gets me 30 years on. It still makes me tear up. And I don't know, three weeks, three months, I don't know, it's in oblivion, but I lost the houses, I lost the cars, I lost my wife, my children, my brother and sister disowned me. My parents would not speak to me, let me near the house. And I was on the streets homeless. And I remember thinking on the streets for the first night, it was a Sunday evening pouring down with the rain. What the fuck just happened? What, how did I live? What happened? And still didn't think I had a drinking problem though. Still think I couldn't manage it, just going through a bit of bad luck. Mm. And uh, seven suicides later and 14 months later, uh, and on two of their kids, like I said, I actually died. But yeah, it all came down to that for me. And uh, the pain and the torture still haunts me. But, you know, I've been working with people, about 8,000 people the last 30 years. And I keep doing it. But it's God, Uncle Jimmy. I keep doing it. It's for God for me. It's, it's, uh, it's God for me. And four years ago, so I'm running this great uh, multi-million dollar company in America. Um, and middle of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, I get a text on Messenger, Facebook Messenger. And I woke up and my wife said, that trying to bother you this time? Well, I've got patience, I've got to get it. So I got my phone. It was my eldest daughter, Charlotte. We used to call her Charlie. And she says, hey, dad, this is after 30 years. Okay. Hey, dad, uh, I've just seen you on TV. Uh, I don't believe what mom and dad, uh, mom used to tell me. I want to meet. I've got something to tell you. So we're texting back and forth, like so scared. I was so scared. But she said, dad. She says, hey, dad. And I had not heard, I had not heard dad for 30 years, you know? It was just like, oh my God, oh my God. So we was on the red eye. We're going, we're going back on the red eye. And uh, we got there in the morning and we stayed at a hotel around the corner from it. And we got to the door, me and my wife stood at the door and all them feelings came. You're never good enough. Where was you for a first bike ride? You know, who, who bullied it? Who beat it? Where was you? All them thoughts, it was horrible. And before I could knock on the door, she opened the door. And we hugged each other and we cried and we laughed and we moved in. And I always remember this, lots of mates. She was stood in the doorway of her living room and said, Dad, I've got something to show you. And I was like, oh, okay. And she walked me into a front room and she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. And right wow. there, I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to do in this life after all that torture and all that pain. And she said to me, after conversations, we just loved the four days there. I want to do what you do, Dad. So I said, what do you want to do? I want to specialize in NLP, neural linguistic programming. So we sent her back to college for a couple of years. We paid for all that. And of about, I don't know, 
two years ago, she became my lead therapist in my Manchester office in the UK. Wow. And we talk every day. And I've been over there, you know, twice, three times a year. Uh, I have a great relationship with my granddaughter. And uh, it's just, it's great. It's amazing how it happened to me. I don't, I don't know why this, all this good happened to me. But uh, here I am. Now, I know this because I got told of this guy called John, who we believe to be an angel, that people will mock you, people will try to discredit you, people will laugh at you because we had this new technique of recovering and people were getting well and they did. They tried to attack me. He's not really British. He never went to college. He's, all this stuff, they were attacking me. But you know something over the years? People started getting well. And then all of a sudden, high-profile people were believing us. Now the medical fraternity believes in us. And now I wrote a white paper for Harvard University because they believed us with the psychiatric hospital, McLean Hospital. And here we are today. And I said before, jokingly, you know, how are you? I said, I'm living the dream. Right. Because when I was on the streets, I used to dream of living. Every Christmas and every birthday for my children, I used to, I remember walking past a house one night, it was Christmas Eve, snow, I was had a little coat and I was freezing. And I walked past the house and there was family gathered around the table and they had party hats on and he was having a great old time. I remember asking God, I said, you know, if you agree and you're up there, I just want one night of this. Just give me one night of just being in a place and feeling wanted and not being an outcast on the streets and being spot at and looked down on. Who knows? I get all this instead. So. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, when people ask me, how do you think you got it? I tell them one thing. It's humanly impossible. I, I had to have some kind of higher power, God's help. I had to have God's help to get here because I, I could not have done, I wanted to die. I, I didn't want to, I couldn't stop drinking. I didn't want to stop drinking. When I tried, I was horrible, a suicide. And it, I couldn't do anything. I didn't want to get off the street, Dr. And I wanted to die on the streets. The guys that saved me on two occasions brought me back to life on the side of an old, wet, stinky Manchester road. I hated them guys for that. Hated them for bringing me back to life. And I tried loads of suicide. It just didn't seem to work. But uh, here I am today with nothing but awe for them guys, whoever they are, or whoever they were, because here I stand today. Jesus, that's so amazing. I mean, I mean, we hear stories all the time, right, Dr. Rob? And this one is like kind of, how do you follow up with that? You know, I mean, that's amazing. So I would imagine that experience then kind of led to this book of Daddy, Daddy, Stop Drinking. Tell me about when you got to this point to write this. How did that come about? Well, it was about four years ago. Somebody said, well, you've obviously been saying about me, you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. I'm not an author. I can't write a book. But somebody said it once and it stuck. He said, Rob, write a book. Ah, no, no, no. This isn't about you. You need to write this book for other people. I was like, wow, that's deep. So <laughs> God bless my wife. I would send her voicemails. I send her little scribbles of paper over, I don't know how long, maybe three years. I'd be doing little pieces of paper. She wrote it. She edits it. But the book was ready. She'd done all this amazing stuff and she put all the wording and it was just, I've never read it. Okay. I've never read. No, I have. I, I've never read it. It's too painful right now, even 30 years off. But uh, we were stuck with a title. That's when my daughter got hold of me. And we flew over there to see her and my grandchild. And we were talking. We just wrote this book. I don't know she would call it. And she oh, I don't. She turned. At the age of three, she was. She turned to me. What was the last thing you said to me? And I'm like, oh, pff, I don't know what that was. She said, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. 
and exploded. That's how it happened. And if, and if you look on the book, I know you guys can't see it, but Dr. May, you can. That's me and her, you know, and that's like that scrolling right in, and that's how it came about. And uh, we, it's on Amazon, you know, for, I don't know, $9, but all that scent goes back into the beginning. But we give it away. If, if you listen to this and go, I, I want a copy, send me a text or something. I'll sign the copy and send it free of charge. I'll pay for the post and everything. It was just meant to inspire people. And for me, Dr. May, and you will relate to this, it was so healing for me. Yeah. It's like everything just passed away and I've got this attitude of, I take risks today, not crazy risks, but little risks. I signed an office deal in Dallas for a million dollars over a 10-year period, it was. It was crazy. People were like, how do you sleep at night? It's like, what else can anybody do to me that's not already happened to me? Right. Why would I not take chances, you know? Why would I not care about what people think of me anymore? You know, when you start with haters, when you start paying my mortgage, then I'm going to listen to you. But I've never met a hater doing better than me yet. So, yeah, that's when it all changed for me. It was only four years ago. I've been in the industry a long time, you know. But, yeah, it just, life just to get, seems to get better and better. Wow. I mean, <laughs> and after all of this shit, literally in your own worst hell and you actually wanted to embrace that shit and stay in hell and die oh yeah you're all mad that people tried to save you and do you understand why they did now oh yeah oh yeah you see the thing is that when i when i was on the streets i looked up to the sky and said if there's a god up there i can't do this on my own anymore right. pulling down the train, middle of nowhere factories only three o'clock in the morning ish guy walks around the corner 30 seconds after i said that Okay, he had a little Bible in his hand. His message last bus home from Bible study. So he took the only shortcut he's, he's never taken and he walked past me and he said, do you want help? And I said, I'm dying, I'm an alcoholic. He said, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. You know, he took me back to his house. He said, you can stay for as long as you like till we get you back on your feet. One condition, you have to come to this AA meeting with me. Well, I hated that place, I hated it. But when I went there and I sat down and all the moaning, piss and moaning all went on, this guy, 12 o'clock from me, I was at six, he was at 12. He said, my name's John, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And every single head in the room turned. And he talked in the book and he talked about God and he talked about recovery. So when he finished, I walked up to him and said, John, my name's Rob, would you sponsor me? And he went, nope. And just before the whole ground swallowed me up, he said, but I will be a spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks. So every single Wednesday, I've just mentioned, I used to leave my house at six or Derek's house at six, Walk there, get there for seven, leave at eight, get back to Dex for nine. Twelve times, Dr. May, twelve times, okay? So when that come out of his, he said, you're going to change, life's going to change, it's going to be amazing, you're going to be taking millions of miles away. It's like, no way. But I got, he said, things are going to change from tomorrow. And I said, John, I love you, man. I've been coming here 12 weeks. Thank you for your time. But I'm in, I'm on, I'm in the basement in this upload mattress I'm in Derek's house. Nobody knows I'm there. Fucking next day, Derek comes on and went, hey, listen, the guy that sweeps the floor in the factory I work at, he's just walked out. Do you want a part-time job sweeping the floor? I'm like, hell yes, I do. That turned into a full job, time job there. Someone actually gave me a mini car to get to work and back, though I wouldn't trust it for long journeys. So my very first paycheck, this two weeks after I last saw John, I get to the gas station. I buy a little teddy bear. It's like three inches, guys. That's all I could afford. And I can't. And I wrote in the card, thank you, John, for introducing me to God because he took the composer to wait to drink and walked back to his house. Now, here's the freaky part, okay? When I got there, it looked a little different. Like, it looked, it looked a bit more lived in as if the curtains had been washed. 
So I banged on the door and there's no answer. And I keep banging on the door because I'm excited because I've got this teddy bear. And it's calm and I'm ready for the gratitude that things have changed and I want to hug him and stuff. Um, and the next door neighbor opened the door and she says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, where's John moved to? She said, John. I said, yeah, John, here, your neighbor. Oh, I've only, this is what she said. I've only been here for three months and there's been no one in that apartment since I've lived here. And she closed the door. I'm like, she must be drunk. So I ran to the other guy and I'm not telling the guy a bit hesitant, I'm a little bit harder. Big guy came to the door. What do you want? I said, where's John relocated to? He said, John, where? He said, next door to your neighbor. He said, there's been no one there for 12 months. I said, yes, he did. I've come here 12 times. And now he's getting angry with this guy. He said, look, idiot, that apartment is derelict. It's got no floor. If you walk in, you'll drop. You, I don't know what you're talking about, but you, you're full of shit. Close the door and I'm like, what the hell? Didn't think anything of it though. Went back to the meeting where I saw John in the same chair I was on, because everyone seems to recognize me years later. I don't know why. And I walked in, hey, Rob. Oh my God, great to see you back. And I said, hey, I didn't know what his name was. Hey, buddy, uh, listen, remember John? Does he, does he come here regularly? And he said, John. Now I'm getting sick of people going, John. I said, yeah, he was speaking and went over me in a cough machine and I asked him to sponsor me and we had a conversation and he said, Rob, Rob, what are you talking about? Have you been drinking? I said, no, I'm not been freaking drinking. He said, you were over me in a cough machine speaking to yourself. So when I got wealthy from what I do today, I send the best private detective firm in Manchester, England out to find this guy and we couldn't find him. No shit. Now come find him. And I would not tell that story for 15 years because people thought I was going crazy. Only when we started writing the book, Janet, my wife, said, you've got to put John in. I said, no, I'm putting John in. It's crazy. You've got to put John in. But so many things around that that's happened, people start to believe it. And the miracles and, and the, the fame and fortune and love and, you know, all the philanthropy work that we do, people go, oh, my God, it must be true. Oh, my God. And I go, right. It, it must be true because my life is just crazy today. Crazy. I have everything. Don't say, yeah, don't have everything you need, but you got everything you want. I have both. I have everything you need and everything I want. But 25% of our uh, earnings every year, which are millions, goes back out into local communities in England and in uh, Texas and around America if needed. We give, personally, my me and my wife, $150,000 back We'll buy, we'll pay rent for, we'll buy little cars, we'll send people to court, we'll, we'll buy suits and legal fees for fathers who want to see the, the children once a week, but they've been in recovery. We, that's what we do. We just, and we've created the Rob Kelly Foundation, which emphasizes that. So, yeah, I, I, I just, it's, it, I have to be giving back all the time. Like if I, if I, if I stop at signal lights, traffic lights, and there's a guy there collecting, you know, he's down and out, he can tell by his shoes. Always look at the shoes, guys. If they're new shoes, I don't give. Look at these shoes. I always give them $20. And a friend said to me today, why are you giving them $20? You know what they're going to do with that. They're going, going to go and buy alcohol. And I said, well, good. That's what I would do. That's not my business. My business is to give, not whatever he does with that. It happens. But they go in restaurants and start talking to the waitress. We tip every time what the meal costs. So if the meal's $300, we tip $300. And I, for me, it's just like, why wouldn't you do now? A lot of people can't afford that. And I know, but you know, give what you can, 20% or whatever. But it's just that I don't believe I'll go broke by giving it away. I really don't, don't think I will. I'm 62 years old now. It hasn't happened yet since I met my wife 10 years ago. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just, 
I, lo- I love to watch people get well. I love to see people achieve. Um, and I just love people. I love people like you. You know, as soon as I see you, we're like, oh, God, I love this girl. She's got compassion. She's helping people. It's just, I mean, these people are amazing. My life is good. So John was an angel. Yes. Wow. I think it's the first time I said that on air. But yes, he was. We couldn't track him. What he taught me is 90% of our program today is what John taught me. 1% is colleges I went to, and the 9% is off the streets. And my past experience with childhood trauma. Oh, my God. So you have to you have to embrace these things that come up. I mean, talk about being really mindful. It took you 15 years to admit that John, some form of high power. I mean, literally, you know, in, in AA, they talk about some kind of higher power. Yeah. I don't care where it comes from. Who gives no. a shit? It's like the impact that you now have that John taught you and all the other experiences when you were in hell, when you wanted to die, all of this has come up so you can do what you're doing, which is kind of extensive. I mean, when recording your intro, I'm like, oh my God, this man has done everything. And it's just amazing. So tell us a little bit how you created the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Where did that come from and kind of your approach to recovery? When I came over here 16 years ago, I had this vision and dream, and uh, I wanted to help people. So for the first year, I was working with people free of charge, and then my, uh, my apartment was foreclosed on because I couldn't pay the rent because I wasn't taking any money. So the idea grew from that, and uh, within uh, three weeks or four weeks of being here, I, I got a production company approached me and asked me to do a set of DVDs on, on addiction recovery, which I did. I was paid as an actor. Um, so I had this money and decided to open Rob Keller Recovery Group to help people, you know, to really, really help people. And what we found early on is when you help the alcoholic or addict or childhood trauma victim, when the family is involved, the recovery rate goes up by 42%. Right. Which no one then thought about families, maybe once a week at treatment center. No, once a month, sorry. Uh, but we include them two days a week. They have to come with us and, and work with us, not just with the alcoholic. Uh, so we got more and more helping families and then, uh, I met Janet and, and her brother committed suicide. He shot himself in the head because an alcoholic and couldn't cope anymore. So it's like oh. God brought it to me. And in 10 years of us knowing each other, we've created this empire. Yeah, we do a lot of work in Hollywood. We, we deal with A-listers, film star, movie stars, footballers, TV stars, as well as the average person like me and you. Just, you know, we have a sliding scale. We never turn anybody away. The worst thing we do is people go, hey, how much do you spend on beer? Oh, $300 a month. Okay, that's your charge for, for working here with $300, you know. Uh, I don't think we've ever turned anybody away without sorting a solution. I don't mean referring. You know, we'll get one of our coaches or therapists to work with them pro bono. We all, we all have to carry a pro bono. Yeah. And that was, I had to come up with that. You have to carry a pro bono if you come on this. And everyone goes, oh, we'd love to. So try and give back, try and help. But we have fun as well. And what's crazy is it's turned into a family business, helping a family, because me and my sister wasn't talking. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter's no chance. Any nieces, no chance. Okay, so today as we stand, there's me, my wife, my sister, who now lives with me, my brother-in-law, my daughter, my niece, and two other people, Courtney, who's kind of family, and one other person, I can't remember his. But we're all working together, Dr. May. We're like... How? What? I mean, you know what I do is amazing, but all of a sudden, um, with, you know, I've got a family over here. 
she, they came on about six months ago for the first time. It's like, uh, oh, we want to stay. We want to stay and get part of the business. We, we love you. So they sold everything and moved here. Wow. And it's like this relationship that I never had before has been, has been mended. The relationship my daughter never had before has been increased with my granddaughter, you know, with my brother-in-law, with, with my niece, you know. I get cards on my birthday from my niece and my daughter, my, my uh, uh, sister, and my brother-in-law and my wife. Right. Like, it's, it's mind-blowing when four out of them five people would not even look at me. Wouldn't, they are putting restraining orders out on their house. Like if I ever come within a mile of it, I would be arrested and sent to prison for at least two years. And yet, look at us now. It's just, I don't know. We have a saying, we love what we do because we do what we love. That's right. There's no doubt in my mind, just, just sharing space with you right now in time, that you're in it deep. Like your heart is in it. Your compassion for love, resilience, and healing is, is clear. It's very, very clear. And... You know, it, it's delightful to really talk to somebody who's like, I know what the fuck darkness looks like. And oh, that's yeah. the thing. I'm not defined by it. That's, that's the key right there. He's like, people just say, you know, I, when I was on the streets, I didn't, I didn't actually go to hell, but I could surely see it from where I was. I was in the destitute of the destitute of the forgotten on the streets, abandoned on the streets, imagine, forgotten about, gone. But when we start to get the neuroscience of it, here's the crux of the matter that we found out you can lock it up. When neural pathways are changed, when the circuitry of the brain is changed, what happens, rewire brain and neuroplasticity, when that changes and you have a relationship with a higher power, with God, Buddha, whoever, your DNA changes. Yeah. No, he didn't just say that. I know, right? DNA it, changes. DNA changes. It means you're not the same person as you was before. Because how could you be? All behavior creates all person, creates all actions. And we believe that everybody can live their life to the full. Alcohol and drugs, stop it. It's not the problem. Alcohol has 1% to do with it. Alcoholism is the same with addiction. I didn't have a thinking problem, Dr. Man. I had a, a drinking problem, a thinking problem. So when you look at the mind as a whole, you look at the neuroplasticity and the way the brain and the mind is capable of changing your life, can you make yourself happy every day? Of course you can. Can you succeed? Of course you can. It's really intricate when we, when we start to remold and we look at the mind and the feelings attached and we visualize with the feeling, not the actual event, with a feeling as if I already had that, whatever it is I want, then the rest of the body, the aura, the energy, the central nervous system follows. It follows. Like quantum physics tells me I could be on a basketball court 12 places at the same time. Nothing's really solid. We all know that. Check. Uh, what happens is, if you look at them 12 places, if you can imagine me being 12 places on a basketball court, where would I want to be? I've I never played basketball, but I'd be near the goal, near the net. I'd get the ball, I'd put it in the net, and I'd be the hero of the game. Here's the question. How do I get there? Right. And here's the answer. You walk over and you take that fucking position. I don't let anybody stand in your way. Visualize it. Walk over. It's yours. But people get all, oh, well, not me. I'm not stuck. Everyone's born the same, guys. Everyone's born the same. Babies have two fears only. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. The rest are man-made. Wait till your father gets home. Oh, my God, the boss is angry with you. Bullshit. Walk over and take that position. 8,000 patients, guys, I'm telling you. Almost 100% success rate, I'm telling you. But people are scared because of childhood trauma. Right. Oh, don't be stupid, Robert. You can't go to college like your brother. You're too stupid. Wow. 
that nearly killed me on several occasions. In fact, it probably enhanced my alcoholism quicker right. because I realized at an early age, I'll never be tall enough, blonde enough, thin enough, or rich enough. And I have to come to that conclusion today. It's like, I have what very few people have on this planet. And that is enough. I have enough. And being in that mindset and that spirituality set and that, and that central nervous system place, whereas everything that comes to me is a godsend and, 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 and cream on top. I have. I've helped the people I want to help. I will do this to the day I die. I'm never going to retire. You'll never see me on an island somewhere with, you know, no, 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 no. This is my job. My job is to help people with addictions, with childhood trauma, with depression, with anything you suffer from. That's what we've, we've trained and that's what we study. It's like everybody can get well. Let's show a brain injury. Everybody can reach their dreams. Anybody. Well, I can. Yeah, you can. Don't, don't tell me. You see, what happened a few years ago is people used to say to me, Dr. May, when I said that to them, they go, well, I can't be president of the United States. Think about this for a second. Forget your political views for a second. Mm. We had a freaking business around the country with no political experience whatsoever. Don't dare tell me that you can't do anything that you want to do because it's a lie that you're telling yourself. Right. We're really capable of anything. Really capable of anything we want. But we're stuck with this fear. If you're depressed, you worry about the past. If you're anxious, you worry about the future. Okay? What happens in this country, and I'm sure all over the world, it does in England, is we get depressed and we feel sad. And we say to a friend, I feel really depressed. Oh, go to the doctor. Okay. So I have to go to the doctor. doctor hey, you're depressed. Let me put you on this SSR, which in a few days or a month, you'll almost feel back to normal. Everything's great. Okay. I'll, I'll go and do it. Your serotonin's low. Don't worry about it. It's fine. SSR slow release serotonin. Why isn't anybody asking the question, why am I freaking serotonin low in the first place? Right. <laughs> when I'm stuck in a drug for the rest of my life to feel happy, it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Look at the food you're eating. 90% or 95% of our food is sprayed in cold starch. Most of the stuff we eat is bad for us. Let's take French fries from McDonald's. There's two ingredients in England. Two ingredients goes into the McDonald's fries in England. 17 ingredients go into the American fries. Look at what you're eating. So we're clogging the body up already. Not can't do it. Okay? Free the mind of any resentments. Don't carry resentments. It's like me drinking poison expecting you to die. Forget about them. Sort them out. Get rid of your past. Go back to the scene of the crimes and your trauma as a child. And everybody has them. Everybody. Right. Well, I did. Yes, you did. Everybody has them. You've got to classify what trauma looks like for you. Right. Well, this trauma down here, what they call a little T, which I don't believe in. Well, that's just a little. No, everything's a big T. What you're doing here in life, why you're not successful, why you're not happy, why you're not the greatest father in the world, son, rich, whatever you want to be, is because of something that happened here. Right. And you cannot put the two together. No normal person. You can't heal yourself. It's like, I have 60 pair of sneakers. Yeah? Why do I have it? Never even thought about it, Dr. Me. Never thought about it until I went to see my therapist some years ago. And I told her, she says, I have all these sneakers. And she run me back to my life. And it came out that when we were children, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, around that age, my parents could only afford two pair of shoes a year. So I used to walk to school, and this is in the book, with holes in my, in my shoes, therefore holes in my sock on the snow. I used to do that every day. And it was a hot, and my mum used to cut around the cardboard box and slip it in my shoe. But you know, 300 yards down the road, it was soggy because of the snow. I walked to school, and she said, 
He was like, no. I said, well, they can only afford two pairs of shoes. And she said, when did your mum enjoy themselves? Every Friday and Saturday and Sunday night, they go out to the bar and have a good time with their friends. And she said this to me, Dr. Mead, that changed my life. And she said, did your mum and dad walk to the bar with holes in their socks and shoes? Down came the tears. And I realised, that's why I have 60 pair of sneakers, because I'm scared of that nine-year-old child walking to school again. You know, God, this is upsetting. With holes in their socks and shoes. So every sign is a little tiny piece of my sock. Might be a week old. Little tiny thread comes out. I have to throw them away. Now, I would never put that together on my own. But that's true. We often see girls in dysfunctional families where dad's an alcoholic. He beats mom. You know, the child at the age of four, five, six, seven learns a couple of things. One is to listen put the key in the door. If the key goes straight in, it's going to be dad's in a happy mood. If the key stumbles trying to get it in, run. Run for shelter because he's going to hit mom. He might hit you. So what happens when that girl grows into teenage in the 20s and she leaves house, she'll always attract that relationship that had at home. She'll always attract that alcoholic, uh, that, that wife beater all the time because that becomes her comfort zone. Right. To the extent that if she left the house and met this really good guy who's charming and treated like a princess, she will self-sabotage that relationship. That's right. Before anything happens, because there's two things happening. It's uncomfortable. I don't know this comfort zone, so I'm getting out. And the second and the most complicated thing to get around is I'm going to leave you before you leave me because I know that you're going to leave me. And that's what was scarred from the, from the childhood trauma and dysfunction. Right. But people are here going, oh, I can't do this, Dr. Owen, I can't do that. And that's a separate and I'm miserable. It's like, go back to the scene of the crime. Clear that up. Free yourself for the future. Absolutely agree, 100%. Absolutely. And those that can really, really, as you've seen, just sky's the limit, right? There's no limit sky's to what you can do. Amazing. I want to go back to something about treatment, your treatment, doing NLP as well as change the thinking and you can change the drinking. Knowing you a little bit is I know that you've been extremely public and outspoken regarding the opioid crisis and how treating substance and disorders is broken. I mean, you are trying to change that by the, the work that you guys are doing at the recovery group. But tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on who and how to end this crisis. Because you, you have a lot of experience with this. Guys, don't believe everything your doctor tells you, first of all. We, we visited, uh, I think it was 15 doctors when I first came over. 14 doctors gave me Adderall, with, and, and six of those 14 did not look up from the prescription they were writing. They never looked me in the eye. Only one doctor says, I don't do that, which we went on to work with. So let's look at the pharmaceutical companies who run the world. They definitely run America, so we're kind of stuck about that. So always double check. 95% of heroin addicts, a lot of them soccer moms, that come to us because of the heroin addiction started in the doctor's office. You bet. And that's what we have to realize is what the, what's the doctor giving, giving me? That God bless doctors, you know, they're getting better now, but we only have to, you know, three minutes to see each patient is doctors, we need to hold you accountable. Medical doctors need to be accountable, which they are doing now since the Purdue thing uh, blew up. Right. So we need to keep them accountable. We need to, and then what suffers off that, Dr. Mayne, I'm sure you know, is when you go to a hospital with a heart attack or a broken leg, they're not giving you morphine because they think you're there to... So the normal guys are suffering because these guys are making us all addicts, you know? And then you look at Suboxone and you go, oh, we'll give you Suboxone instead. You know, same pharmaceutical company that got you hooked on all the other stuff, right? right? 
Again, the same companies are now giving you Suboxone because, hey, that was a bad drug. I'm sorry about that, by the way. But here's some Suboxone. Suboxone is harder to get off than heroin. Okay? You can't treat drug addiction with a drug. You can't. It's impossible. Now, if you have depression and the chemical balances, I understand. Don't stop taking them. You're amazing. Carry on. But you've got to look. We've got to hold my cancer. We've got to look and find out. I had a live interview. And, I, and, and my guys warned them, oh, we want Dr. Rob on this live with Purdue's attorney. And he's going to tell us why you, your stuff is wrong, blah, blah, blah. And they told him, don't have Dr. Rob on your show. It's nationwide. It's live. Don't have him on. You really want Dr. Rob. He's a big mouth. And, you know, and I got on. Me and him had a debate that dropped him. Go, go Google it, guys. The very next day, they filed for bank. Purdue... Pharmaceutical company filed for bankruptcy the next day. Now, not all of what I did, it's probably this much, but everything else that happened, if you watch the program, painkiller, you'll find out. But they went bankrupt. I am, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to take a substitute. Now, if you want to taper off with any medication, Suboxone and, and the likes, over a period of two or three weeks, awesome. Let's do it, guys. But it has a shelf life, okay? If you're still taking that two or three months later, guess what? You're addicted to that. And the brain, listen to this, guys. The brain can't tell the difference between a pharmaceutical drug and a street drug. So if it's not about the alcohol or drug, what's it about? It's about this. So the guys that are alcoholic and they go into the bars and and non-alcoholic beer, please. It's not about the alcohol. It's about the act and the pattern in your circuitry that when you drink, it always ends up in jail or prison or whatever it is. It's not the alcohol. So we have to change the circuitry, we have to change the behavior, we have to change the action, we have to change our environment, the people around us. We can't change the people around us, but we can change the people around us. That's what we need to look at and all them together and highlight that the, the statistics we're hearing right now in the world, oh, 400,000 people die every year from alcohol. It's wrong. Drug addiction is key. Wrong. And I tell you how we know this. We did, we did four weekends in Richardson, uh, hospital uh, near Dallas, Texas, and we were allowed to monitor uh, the people coming in Friday and Saturday night only, four weeks. Okay, listen to these. 97%, okay, 97% of them people coming through the doors had had alcohol or drugs in the system, okay? 40% of those, and I'm guessing this is the fix, but they're about right, 42, 48, I don't know what it is. 40% of those had the drug addicts and, and alcoholic to the extent of alcoholic poisoning or overdose. of them died right there on the the table. They died, okay? Do you know what's reported on? Oh, uh, drug driving. Oh, uh, house fire. Oh, uh, suicide. Why? Well, the first guy was no alcoholic. He's been there 27 times, but he didn't go down as cirrhosis or, you know, it goes down as car crash, really, guys. So they're not being reported properly because if if the real people saw the actual figures of what, Drugs and alcohol are cost in this country. It would blow your mind. They, they kill so many people, drugs. And, and, and doctors bought into this for a long time, pain doctors. Banging right. yeah, these painkillers out straight away. They kill more people than any war that's ever existed. Times 100, maybe. Right. People are not looking at that. And the reason they don't, nobody wants to touch alcohol because it's legal. Why is it legal? Because the taxes we get off alcohol is phenomenal. And people can drink great. You go ahead, guys. You know, it's amazing. But we've got to look. If alcohol was brought today, there'd be frowns upon it and there'd be probably legal actions to stop it being made. And we look at the drug side of it. It's like, you can't stop this. God bless the DEA. DEA, my hats are off to you. Thank you for doing your job. There's no way you're going to stop it. 
no way in the world. The only way we can do is at the ages of seven or eight onwards to about 15 is education, education, education. education. I I don't mind people legalizing weed. It's great. You know, it's fine. Government, good on you. Taxes, why why don't you earn the taxes or the money instead of the drug dealers? Great, I'm all in for that. What I'm not in for is why haven't you been honest about, why haven't you been honest about the weed? Why haven't you been honest what it can cause and the damages and effects it has on a human body? Why aren't we telling people that? It's okay, legalizing it like alcohol, but if we're not informed about actually what happens and what can happen as a result of smoking weed, then you're not giving people the right picture. You're giving them half measures. And I think I'm an American citizen. I became an American citizen three years ago, and I'm very passionate about this country. And when I turned up, I had a full suit on, and I really take this seriously. I was crying when I saw the other. I love America. America's my country. I would fight. If England went to war with America, sorry, guys, I would be an American. So I love this country. But we have to start being realistic about what we're telling the public when it comes to the health. I'm not telling them stuff. And all these fancy words on, on, uh, on foods, you know, processed foods, all fa- them words mean it all goes back a lot of it back to the crude oil and all oil was used for back in the day was to grease engines and the like and yet we're eating it on a daily basis and nobody's told us about that and there's a few videos and streaming services that you can find that tells you the truth but do you know why they're not popular well i'd have to tell you why there's no money in eating all foods the only reason why the pharmacy the food industries and not pushing raw foods is because you can't patent raw foods. There's no money in there. It's crazy, isn't it? Just like drugs, just like alcohol. Boom! That's what it's the hard cost truth, baby. That's it. I mean, and you're right. It's like talking to you is just a reminder, a very clear reminder of what is broken in our system of treatment, which is education. You know, we should be talking about this in the schools. Absolutely. You know, because it's it's like David and Goliath, and it might always be that way. So providers like you and like myself and many others who are fighting this very uphill battle, all the Goliaths in the world, there is things to do though, right? It's not just, oh shit, we are helpless and hopeless in this, right? Say more about like, what else can we do? I think we need to, obviously I've said, uh, hold the docs accountable, which is happening now, paying clients are being shut down all over the place. And we need to account with our families. You know, what are we actually taking from the doctor or treatment centers? The, the treatment centers is like three to, I think 9% is the best I've seen. We say that's 97%. Uh, three and nine, what are they doing wrong? The treatment model is broken, okay? You cannot, so let's say, let's say there's two houses, okay? Here's treatment, uh, our treatment, okay? Uh, recovery has its own language, all right, as we know. And we've got this house. Let's say, for instance, this house here, where we're by the patient is and the family, speak German, Okay. This is, the, this is the model of any treatment center. So they go in there and they pick Mr. Alcoholic up from the German-speaking house, and we stick him in a treatment center, and now we learn him or teach him English, okay? Now he's got a new recovery. He's been in there for 90 days. He's been shielded from everything. Now what happens is we pick him up and put him back in the house. Have a guess what's going to happen, guys. He's going to start speaking German again. It's the same thing in treatment centers. Why are you taking little Johnny back in for his third time in your treatment center, paying $30,000 a month. How fucking dare you? How do you sleep at night? How dare you when there's an answer out there, a 100% answer, 
You see it with the marketing people. Oh, Dr. Rob, listen, I'm working at Blah Training Center. Oh, they're the best in the world. Four weeks later, oh yeah, I left that place. They were horrible. And now at Jimmy's Training Center, this is the best in the world. It's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares because there's no money in recovery. If they can't give you a drug for your, for your, uh, a drug to fix a drug, if they can't make you out non alcoholic bit, if they can't you treat, stop you in a treatment center or psychiatric ward, there's no money to be made on that. But if we keep them in them realms, we keep churning these guys back. Mm. Imagine somebody coming, let's say we're selling cars. Imagine someone coming every two weeks buying a brand new car office. We would love that. Same with certain treatment centers out there. Mm. Now, there is some that we use and are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We love you guys. But there's 90% out there that's in it for the wrong reason. It's broken. Stop going. Save your money. And I know people are going to say, well, look at you. I don't give a shit, first of all. I don't give a shit what you say about me. I've stood against everybody and anybody in, in this industry. So unless you're doing what we do, shut the fuck up because you don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry, guys, but you don't. Where's your, where's your honesty? Where's your, if you relapse again, I'm going to put you through this program free of charge for the rest of your life. If you, where's your, do you know what we do? We offer a money-back guarantee if you relapse while following our program. Nobody in the world does that. Did you know why they don't? Get the money back if they really are following your program. Just Whilst continuing to... Yeah, so when you go to our program, there's, there's, a, there's some stuff that we ask you to do every single day. Right. So you keep following our program as you did when you was here. If you continue to follow that program and relapse, we'll give you your money back. Why? Because we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. And we can heal minds and we can heal everything about alcoholism and addiction and depression and childhood trauma because we have the key. Because we spent the last 15 years studying, trial testing, right. scientifically testing, you know, crowd testing, everything that we come across. And, you know, people go, we got to test everything. We actually knew three friends that were constant drug relapses. And we, we even became friends. And we're like, I don't want to stop, but I'm trying to chop it down. Next time you want to go to the drug dealers, can you call me? They're like, why? So I'm going to pick you up, give you $50, drive you to the dealer. I can't come in with you, unfortunately, but you get out and I'll drive you home. Hell yeah, the Rob will do that. And that's what we did. So the, the immediate mental focus uh, is, on, is on the drug when you think about it. So a thought pattern likes the brain up. You don't need a picture or a thought for it. It likes the brain up, but the heroin, let's say, calls me. I drive over there, give me $50, drive him to the dealer. He goes into the dealer, goes back to my car. We drive him back home and he takes the drug. What's the most intoxicating part of that journey? Getting the drug. No. What? The journey there. The journey getting. The ride in the car. Right, getting. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, getting. I'm sorry, right. getting that. Getting the drug. Oh, yeah. I, and, and when you realize that, you go, holy shit, it's not about the drugs. Oh, my I God. It's not about the drugs. And I, and I did this years ago when I was on the streets. I'm stood outside a liquor store. It's 6 a.m. in the morning, snowing, okay? I'm in a pair of flip-flops, a pair of shorty shorts, so I had to wear, and, and, and a vest, a string vest. It's below zero. I'm sweating. I'm shaking. I've got a banging head. I can hardly think. This guy, God bless him, this news agent, stroke liquor store. He couldn't sell liquor until 10 a.m., but he let me in at 6 and this one morning, I went in and I'm holding my 10 pounds and I put it on the counter and he goes to get the bottle and he, he's just almost crying every day I go in there. And he puts the bottle on the counter and this is what I do on this particular day and I don't know why. <laughs> Headaches went, shakings went, sweats went, mood changed. Not even open the bottle. Put my hand on it, 
and everything changed. And it was right there. And I go, holy shit, it's not about the alcohol. Holy shit. And people laughed at me. Dr. May, they don't be so stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And then they tried to discredit you, yeah. you know. And all of a sudden, like, people are getting well. And the best people in the world are coming to us to get well. And it's like, it's not about the alcohol. Why are you teaching? Exactly. That's it. That's all it is. That's what we focus on. If we can just stop you drinking, everything should be okay. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. I mean, it's a thinking problem. It's an abuse problem. It's an environmental issue. It's a relationship <laughs> connection issue. It is all of these things that lead people to want to numb out and yes. not feel this. And that's what I tell folks, too. It's not, you don't have a drinking problem. It's an emotional regulation or thinking issue because you can't tolerate feeling because no one taught you how to feel. Well, of course, why would you want to? Exactly. It's not about you saying, it's about not feeling, not wanting to think this way. Kind of. And the thing we found as well is, uh, in the statement that might blow up someone's mind, is uh, alcoholics are born, drug addicts are made. Alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made, indeed. Say more. We all know that alcoholism is a predisposition. Yeah. We all know it's passed down from generation to generation. We skip a generation, but it's hereditary. We all know the three problems. People don't know this. The three parts of the brain that differ to any other brain, any other addiction, hypothalamus, basal ganglia, and the amygdala. They are wired differently from a normal person. Now, drug addicts, what about drug addicts? Oh, they present the same and suffer the same, but most drug addicts have the addictive personality. See, when they take the first drug, they can choose after not. When you take the first drink, you're done. You're done. You know, it's just, that's it. We're born and we're, and we're made. And once you understand that, and like you said, Loads of time, Dr. Mays. It, we don't have a drinking problem. We have a thinking problem. What about the trauma? What about the behavior? What about the abuse? What about the rape? What about molestation? What about the death? What about, you get all these things together, and people who are not alcoholics or drug addicts will turn. You can't drink yourself into an alcoholic, but you can certainly abuse yourself enough. That you, you, everyone says he's an alcoholic. Alcoholism is the only self diagnosed illness in the world, but you can kill yourself from that past because you haven't sorted it out. That's it. And like you said, everything is not a small T. It's all so trauma. So the basal ganglia, let's say it's like a clock. Repetition right. never confirms. There you go. And that's it's it. It's true. And, and you've got to realize that, you know? It doesn't have to be a plane crash. It doesn't have to be a divorce. It doesn't have to be a car crash. It can be as little as a, a sentence. Like alcoholics, they have more feelings and were hurt more than any other brain in the world. And we hear things different, okay? We hear things different, you, you know? Everybody, hey, boss wants to see you. Oh, shit, what have I done? Normal people don't do that, okay? So me and my brother stood on the kitchen table and we're having a laugh and my mum walks in and she says to both of us, get down off the table before your father gets in. Get down, idiots, get down. My brother jumps off and I freeze. The reason why I freeze is because what I've heard with my traumatized brain, get off that table, you stupid idiot, before your dad gets on. That comes from the hereditary, the child, the enmeshment, the trauma from my caregivers that produce that brain. Remember, two fears we're born with. All these fears come after. So you get all this stuff in your past. If you sort and heal that in the past, which 100% of it is you can heal, then that becomes your greatest asset going forward. Because what people say to me, not to me, when they see me and see the house, the cars and everything, they go, what do you know about being with that? You know, if they're home, what do you know about being homeless? You don't know anything. Yeah, let me tell you a story. You've never been battered and raped. Let me tell you that story. You never lost your kids. Let me tell you that story. It's like, oh, I'm meant to go through this so I can heal people going forward. 
Right. It's like given the information to contact with the higher power to, to work our program. It's like you have to go through this. And, and guys, if you're going through this, I'm telling you, it's not a punishment. You're in Harvard University. You're having the best part of your teaching lives. It's like a semester at Harvard University. You're getting the best education ever. Yeah, we've got no money. We've got five kids. What are we going to do? Stick in there. Nothing's permanent. Everything's temporary. But you see that being there when you're going through life. You'll be in a new job once, having a great time, and someone's going to walk up to you and go, what do you know? I've got five kids here and I don't have to feed. And you're going to let me sit down with you and tell me I've got out with it. That's what it's about. It's not about me. It was never about me. As all, I'm, see, when, when I get to heaven, I, okay, and the big doors open, you St. Pete or St. George, they're not going to say, hey, Rob, how much money did you earn? How, what car did you drive? How big was that house you lived in? They're going to say, how many freaking people did you help? How many people did you help that was dying? Because if it was to paint something on the wall of what I do for a living, I reach down to the gutter, I pull the human being out, and I hand them on to God as quick as humanly possible. That's what I do. And that's why I love my job is everybody, unless you have a brain damage, everybody is savable and everybody can live their life and full capacity ever to 100%. I truly believe that, Dr. Me. I know you do. I know you do. Which also leads us into something that's happening in September for you, correct? You have this conference coming up with a similar mindset. Is that correct? The Neuro Hero <coughs> Conference? Yeah, we, you know, we decided myself and a guy called Adam Jablin, which is the number one coach in Florida, voted. We decided with all this information, and yet we just keep it, you know, for our patients or you know our clients. But why do we put a convention on? So it's our first conference, our very first conference. We don't know any conferences, but we wanted to combine neuroscience with you know the hero journey and 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 tell you how to get there. See, I went to conferences and I was disgusted. And this guy was charging like three grand. And all he did, Dr. May, who wants to be a millionaire? Shout, who wants, I want to be a millionaire. Write down, I want to become a millionaire. And, and he kept saying that for two hours. I'm like, holy moly. So what we're going to do is when there's only 100 spaces available, when, when we take people there on the Friday morning, you're going to walk out a different person on a Saturday afternoon. Guaranteed. Otherwise, put your money where your mouth is. Okay. If you don't, I'll refund your money that you paid for the ticket. See, this isn't about money, guys. This is about changing people. If you want to take your life to the next minute, and we have two people there talking. So Gary Brecker, the number one human biologist who's changing the world, go, go Google him, mind-blowing mentor of mine. And uh, remember Run Around Sue? You're too young, Dr. May. Run Around Sue in the, in the 50s and 60s. Dion, his name, I'd have multi-million, Hall of Famer. He's a rock and roll Hall of Famer. He's going to be singing and talking as well. Wow. So we've got great speakers there. We're going to be there. It's Friday and Saturday. Uh, the, the website is the neuroheroconference.com. Get on there. You're going to have an amazing time. One of the best restaurant, Italian restaurants in Florida are going to be hold very exclusive. My goodness. When do you sleep? Really? This is so well, many things going I know. on. Amazing. I know. Well, I usually study to four o'clock in the afternoon, but I've always got this, you know, stuff racing. But what I want to say before we wrap up, and, and, and this, this is I do most times. I want to eat a great podcasters though like you. Is um, guys, if you're sat at home and you can identify with what I was, if you're that person in that broken down apartment, the guy that's going to want to commit suicide or ideation, uh, thoughts around that, the guy that thinks he's never going to amount to anything. First of all, I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. You are good enough. Well, Dr. Rob, what are you going to do about that? Here's what I'm going to do about that. Two, one, zero, six. Zero, zero, 
0210 is my personal cell phone number. You text me if you're in that big. Don't just text me, please, you know, just for no reason. Although you can, don't get me wrong. But if you're in that place, here's what I'm going to do for you. You text me, it might take me a couple of hours to get to my text. I'm going to text you back and arrange a 10 to 15 minute talk with you. It's a pep talk that's going to blow your mind. And do you know if it doesn't? I'm going to send you $100 for wasting your time. Wow. So text me, guys. I'm here. Don't look at the TV. Don't look at the books. Don't look at that. Here's the guy that sold his kids out for alcohol. This is the guy who's the worst of the worst of the worst that could ever do is me. It's me and you on a call. That's all it is. I want, I want to be your Derek. I want to be your John in life. That's my primary purpose today. So text me, man. We'll get you through this. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's going to be an amazing journey. Oh my God, you can't beat that. I am speechless. I really do appreciate your heartfelt, your love for this work, the love for humanity, and that people do recover and that it does happen. And you can do it with a lot of help and a lot of support. Obviously, a lot of love. It's <coughs> possible. I really appreciate you, Dr. Rob, for being here. And it's wonderful that we found each other. And again, if you want to get in touch with Dr. Rob, again, that phone number one more time. 214-600-0210. And that actually is his number because I've called it. <laughs> so <laughs> this shit's real. <laughs> So this is a man who really knows how to come back from something that most people don't. So again, I truly appreciate your time, Dr. Rob. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon. <laughs>